Well, it's so good to be with you here this Sunday. Can you believe it's been 20 uh, weeks since we've last gathered on our church property? We've finally returned, but it will still be some time before things are fully restored. But let us rejoice this morning um, that we are together. Today we begin a five-part sermon series titled Jesus' High Priestly Prayer. This amazing prayer is found in uh, John chapter 17. Now some Christian scholars consider these words in Scripture to be the pinnacle of all words in the Bible. John Knox, the great Scottish leader and founder of Presbyterianism, on his deathbed asked his wife to read Jesus' prayer, saying to her, Go read where I cast my first anchor. She read this prayer that we will be studying in the weeks ahead. And then John Knox passed into glory. This prayer opens up a window into the mind of Jesus Christ. It reveals so much about who Jesus is, why he came, and what he still continues to do for us. Now, the context is uh, Jesus has gone to Jerusalem. He is with his disciples um, for the Passover feast. Later that night, he will be arrested. And by the end of the next day, he will have been crucified. So he gives his disciples some, some parting words. And they are left in fear and confusion and trepidation. And, and so Jesus lifts up his voice in prayer and he says it out loud so that they can hear him and so we can learn of what he has prayed. And, and as they listen, no doubt their hearts would have been settled and, and assured of the steadfast love of God. Now, do you ever find yourself confused, uh, do you, anxious or concerned? Well, these words in Jesus' great high priestly prayer Well, they will still your heart. They will help you to take away your anxiety. This sermon is titled, The Greatest Glory on Earth and in Heaven. We will look at the first five verses of Jesus' high priestly prayer. In these verses, Jesus opens our eyes to the greatest glory on earth and in heaven. It's true, right? We all long for glory. We strive for it every waking hour glory. And what we will see and what we must confess is that we're really not very good at glory, but in Christ all that can change. Are you ready? We're looking at John chapter 17 verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you have sent the living word, Christ, uh, to this world, that we may receive him and hear from him We thank you for your written word given to us. 
And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives life to our souls, that we can grow deeper and deeper in understanding. We need that, Heavenly Father. We pray your blessing upon us. Amen. It's true, isn't it? There are certain things in, in life, certain problems that you can ignore, and, and everything will still go on okay. You've perhaps experienced the toothbrush problem. You, you look at that mangly old toothbrush, and you know you need a new one, but you're a little bit lazy to go and get one right now. And so you'll, you'll just go ahead and brush with old bent bristles just for another day. Or there's a haircut problem. I had that for about six months. I uh, went without a haircut. And you know what? It's okay. You can go a long time without a haircut. See, unless you're a news anchor, uh, you can ignore your haircut problem for weeks on end. But there are other problems that we'd like to ignore. But if you do, they can come back and bite you. How many of you have experienced the dashboard engine light problem? It flashes what? Check engine. But as far as you can tell, the car still runs, seems to be fine. So you drive as if nothing really substantial is at stake. And you cross your fingers and you hope that it isn't a really bad thing like being down to your last quart of engine oil. The problem is that the check engine light is there for a reason. You ignore it at your own peril. With that in mind, I'd like to point out what man's great problem is. We have a glory problem. It's a problem that you avoid to your own peril. What do I mean? Well, let me try to illustrate it this way. What if the Mona Lisa came alive and started talking and bragging about how beautiful she is? Look at me, even without eyebrows. I'm the most beautiful woman alive. I know it's a bit strange, but try to see where I'm going with this. The Mona Lisa painting didn't create herself. She had a creator, an artist, and it's the artist who is worthy of the glory. The Mona Lisa painting is ultimately all about reflecting the glory of Leonardo da Vinci. In a similar way, we human beings are God's creation. We are, we are his painting, so to speak. And so our lives are not to be lived for our own glory, but rather to reflect the glory of our creator. And so as scripture makes abundantly clear, though, we, we're born with uh, twisted affections. We live for 70 or 80 years with our eyes on ourselves, trying to maximize our own glory, when really our purpose for which we were created was to bear God's image on earth and be reflectors of his glory. Does this make sense? The opening words of Jesus' prayer corrects our foolishness. Here we see the Son of God describing how his entire life, his entire life has not been about himself, but about his Father's glory being on display through him. And did you notice even in verse 2 where Jesus asked the Father to glorify him? He asks why. Look at what it says. Jesus says, glorify your son, that's me, so that the son may glorify you. Jesus asks for glory from God so that he can reflect the glory back to God. It's amazing, right? That should be our prayer too, don't you think? These five verses show us that Jesus came not just to save people, but to fix our glory problem. 
And Jesus gives us a clue as to how this all begins. Did you catch it? Jesus began his prayer, how? By lifting his eyes towards heaven where our creator dwells. This is where we must begin too. Lifting our eyes to heaven that we may behold and delight in the greatest glory on earth and in heaven. And in doing so, it will turn off that check engine light on the dashboard of our souls. And it will change us forever. As we look at this this morning, we're going to divide our time into three areas. Glory gone, glory gained, and glory given. First, glory gone. There are two aspects to glory gone. First relates to Jesus. Uh, he left glory in heaven to come to earth. The seven aspect, second aspect of glory gone relates to us. We have a glory problem. It's kind of gone in some really tangible ways. And only God can fix it for us. First glory gone as it relates to Jesus. Rico Tice is a minister in the uh, UK. And he, and he tells a story of a time when he was hanging out in the back stairwell of a church with some, some stranger. Rico and this young man stood near each other for a long bit, not saying a word, um, but they did exchange a couple of sheepish glances at each other. And then the door opened up, and a person said, Oh, Prince William, there you are. Come with me. Rico Tice had been standing in the presence of his royal highness, the future king of England, and he did not recognize him. In a similar way, Jesus went unrecognized as the divine son of God when he walked the earth. How is this? Verse 5 tells us that, that while Jesus was on earth, some aspect of his glory that he had previously in heaven was now gone. He had left it in heaven. And so in verse 5, he prays for with longing for the fullness to return. Look at what he says. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is asking his Father in heaven to return him to a state of glory that he had with the Father before anything in creation was created. Now, and there's some people who I know insist that Jesus Christ isn't divine, that he never claimed to be, um, but his own words here prove us wrong. Jesus says he was with the Father, uh, and he, had the, he shared the Father's glory with the Father before creation. I don't think it gets any plainer than that. And talk about, talk about glory. Yeah, truth is, I have a hard time just getting off the couch to go to the mailbox. <laughs> Consider how glorious it is for the Son of God to leave glory in heaven and come down in order to save us. Talk about captivating. Doesn't this captivate your hearts? Doesn't it make you marvel at God and his goodness? Jesus let go of divine glory so that he could come down and grab us. And lift our eyes towards heaven. We should fall to our knees in amazement at this. We should be in wonder and delight. And if we don't, it is a sign that the second aspect of glory gone is true. 
in a significant and destructive way, glory has gone from us. The great thinker Francis Schaeffer describes creation as it now exists with the phrase glorious ruin. The world we live in and we ourselves are glorious ruins like the Parthenon in Greece. You, you look at the Parthenon, you study it, and, and two things come to mind. One, it is glorious, and two, it is in ruin. So to us. There is something about us human beings that even on our worst day, God's glory can still be seen in us in real and tangible ways. But also if we're honest, we, we know we aren't the people we know we should be, let alone who God has called us to be. But Jesus came to fix that for us. He came that we would be new creations, new creatures, creatures who, by God's grace, are now able to lift our eyes towards heaven in wonder, creatures who repent at how we've lived selfish lives, turned in on ourselves, pursuing our own glory, and now look in faith towards Christ. So let me ask you, do you see yourself as a glorious ruin? And do you understand that apart from Christ, the check engine light is flashing on the, on the dashboard of your soul? And that your only hope is to, is to lift your head like Jesus to heaven and, and cry out to God for the remedy to our circumstances, which leads to our second point, glory gained. Did you happen to catch the movie last year that, that was released? Uh, simple title, 1917. Amazing cinematography, uh, acting, and plot takes place in the trenches during World War I. The British army discovers there's a plan by the German army that threatens 1,500 troops um, that are currently cut off from communication, and they're all alone. And so General Aaron Moore commands two lance corporals, uh, Schofield and Blake, uh, he commands them to infiltrate behind enemy lines with a message that can save the troops. And oh, by the way, amongst the troops are one of Blake's brothers. It's a glorious mission that required great obedience and fortitude and determination. The enemy was relentless to try to stop them. And spoiler alert, uh, Blake alone reaches the cutoff troops and accomplishes the work that he was given to do. In our passage, Jesus says to his father that he has completed the mission. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Think it through, my friends. If, if we take delight in how two British lance corporals leave relative safety of the trenches to cross enemy lines at risk to their lives to save others... How much more so should we marvel at the love of God, that, that he should send his son on our behalf? And how much more should we glory and, and praise the son of God for glorying his father to the bitter end? You know, five times in our five verses, Jesus uses the words glory or glorify. Understand this, it may challenge some of you. Jesus' number one priority for all eternity is what? Saving us? No, his number one priority is glorifying the Father. Our salvation was, 
was, was, wasn't Jesus' number one priority. Glorifying the Father was. And because Jesus perfectly obeyed and glorified the Father, we are now able to experience eternal life as a gift. It's an amazing thought. You and I have failed and continue to fail to glorify God with our lives. And yet Jesus came to earth with the mission of glorifying the Father by living and dying and rising in our place instead of us. Whereas the first Adam failed miserably by desiring for himself the glory that belongs only to God himself, the second Adam, Jesus, gained for us what was once gone. My friends, Jesus gained glory for God. God is the hero of salvation. The gospel is God's idea. It's not ours. We deserve condemnation for our glory stealing and our hoarding. But God, in glorious mercy and love, poured out his justice on himself. My friends, this is why the cross is so glorious. We we sinful glory thieves and hoarders, we do not get what we deserve. We deserve eternal separation uh, from God. but, But Jesus has faithfully, faithfully gained for us eternal life, a life in which we are restored in a relationship with God. And we, like Jesus now, are able to lift our eyes to heaven and up towards God, our Father. Take time to ponder this, that the very God of the universe we call Father. We are adopted children of the creator of all things. There can be nothing more glorious than that. And so why on earth would we want to continue to live out our 70, 80 years that God has given us? Why would we want to live out these years for our own glory? It makes no sense. Eternal life is ours now. Jesus gained glory for God and in turn for us too. Jesus lived the God-glorifying life that you and I should have lived, gave his life for us, and he's risen for us, and he has given us eternal life. Now, does this, does this captivate you? It should. And instead of being talking Mona Lisas that boast in ourselves, we should lift our eyes to heaven like Jesus and, and say, Heavenly Father, glorify yourself in me that I may glorify you. Right, so we looked at the glory gone and the glory gained. Now for the glory given. You know, ultimately, our only hope of experiencing lasting glory is possible only when we, when we stop looking to get glory for ourselves and instead receive it as a gift from God. Jesus' words in verse 2 and 3 place another aspect of God's glory on display. It's his grace. God is a giving God. In verse 2, the word give occurs three times. Look at what he says. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all to whom you have given him. Give, give, give. God is a giving God. God is glorious because he is always giving and giving and giving. And what makes God's giving and his grace so marvelous is that he gives it to us who do not even deserve it. I regularly find myself asking God, why? Why me? Why save Mark Middlecoff? 
Yeah, I lived most of my early years mocking the existence of God and, and living as one of the biggest glory thieves and hoarders I've ever known. That computer business that I started, it was all about me and my glory. I was one heck of a proud talking Mona Lisa painting. Look at me. Look at how successful I am. To this day, I cannot figure out why God would come to me and give me eternal life in Christ. Thankfully, God is a glorious God who is full of grace towards sinners like me and like you. He gives. And what is this glory that he gives to you and me? Jesus calls it eternal life. And what is eternal life? I'm glad you asked. Jesus tells us what eternal life is in verse 3. Look at what he says. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is what? To know the only true God and his Son, whom he sent. How does Jesus' definition of eternal life challenge you? You know, often people think of eternal life quantitatively, as in duration, a quantity of time. They focus on the word eternal. But Jesus wants us to understand eternal life qualitatively by the word he used, life. What is it that Jesus gains... What it is that Jesus gains for you for all eternity is life. God restores us life, and this is a good life. It's glorious, and yes, it will go on forever and ever. Think about the life you're living right now. It's not even close to what God has in mind for those who love him. Yes, eternal life begins now in this lifetime, but the fullness will come in the age to come. The glory God restores you to in Christ Jesus is life. But it's not your life all on your own. No, but it's, it's life in relationship to God, your, your creator. Jesus describes this life as knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This life is described as knowing God. And not just intellectually, but relationally. Believing in God and knowing God are two entirely different things. You know, I often have people come to me and say, at least once a month, they say, they find out I'm a pastor, you know, and so they oh, hey, would you, would you mind putting in a, in a good word for me with the, with the man upstairs? And it just kind of weirds me out, you know? It's just, I just don't like hearing that. Um, kind of like fingernails on a chalkboard. Put a good word in for the man upstairs. I don't even know where to begin. I think from now on, though, I'm just going to say, oh, yeah, your, your check engine light is on. Such a person knows about God. I guess, they, I guess in some way they believe in God, but they do not know God. Does this in any way describe you? Two weeks ago, we wrapped up our men's study. We were, for six months, we were studying a book titled, you guessed it, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Incidentally, on the week in which we finished this study, Packer passed away. Great man uh, and a great book. Packer writes, listen, there is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. When you truly know God, you have energy to serve him. 
boldness to share him, and contentment in him. How do we come to know God? Jesus says, by receiving Jesus Christ, whom God sent. God sent Jesus so that you can not just know of God, but finally know the one and only true God. And Jesus says we come to know the only true God by receiving himself, whom God has sent. Think of the glory God has given us. If you've come to trust in Christ, then God has placed you on an eternal trajectory of glory upon glory. And for all eternity, check this out, for all eternity, we will grow and grow and grow in knowledge of God. And understand this, God God is infinite. We are not. And because of this, you can never begin to plumb the depths of God's glory. Even if you live for 10 million years in God's presence, you would never tire of experiencing his glory because you can never ever get to the bottom of it. In light of this, think of all the fleeting things you and I chase after on earth, week after week, year after year, and and we just lose interest in them, right? Put them up for sale on Poshmark. Or, Or in the end, things you chase in life, you come to find out they they never really give you the glory that they promised you. Understand this. God is the only thing in all of creation that you can never, ever tire of. Listen, especially young people, God is not boring. If you think God is boring, your check engine light is on. There is something faulty, but it isn't with God. It's with you. You just don't know him. See, God is infinitely fun and happy and delightful and overflowing with joy upon joy. And to know him is eternal life. And that's what Jesus came to earth to do, to give glory, to restore glory to you. Not only, not not your own glory for you to brag about, but a reflecting glory of the creator's glory. It's what you and I were made to do. And in Christ, we get to do it. For now we live in the already, not yet. The ability to reflect God's image for God's glory has already been restored to us in Christ, but the full manifestation of it is yet to come. We wait for Christ's return when he comes down to a renewed world. Then the eternity to which we belong will begin in earnest. Until then, what do we do? We lived we, we are to live anchored to this promise that we've just read. Like, like John Knox, who anchored his life and death to the substance of this prayer, we too are to lift our eyes to Christ in heaven and live another day on this glorious ruin of an earth in faith and in hope and in love. Having our lives restored by Christ really does change things for us. As Packer wrote elsewhere, listen, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Or as Lewis put it, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you get neither. And so, I don't think you could ever have a more profound question asked you than what I'm about to ask. And so here goes. Let me ask you, will you live the one life 
the one life that your creator has given you to live as a talking Mona Lisa painting, living a God-offending life for your own glory for 70, 80 years, and oh, at the end of it, never being satisfied? Or, or will you lift your eyes to your creator in heaven who is full of glory and joy and mercy and grace? And will you ask him to glorify you so that you may glorify him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You have given us a path to glory. It's a glory that we don't get on our own. It's a glory that comes as a gift. You are a giving and giving and giving God. You take pity on us. You love us. You sent your son on a mission to redeem us and to lift our eyes towards heaven so that we can turn from our foolishness and come and love you and grow in knowledge of you all the days of our lives and then for all of eternity. Holy Spirit, we pray that you continue to press these truths into our lives. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.